Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, hello, Canada. It's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in sunny BC. Sunny today, oh, it's good. It's uh, sunshine in here too. It's warmed up significantly from the temperatures we had in the weekend with a little bit of snow blowing through to the north and east of us. Thankfully, we missed it here in Saskatoon. But it's uh, it, it actually feels like spring is coming. Yeah, what's, what's your temperature? Uh, we were just below zero today. It was, I think the high was minus two, but we started off at minus 16 yeah. this morning. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah so we we're uh, 12 above. Wow. Sunshine. The tulips are actually coming up out of the ground. Already? Wow. Well, it's pretty normal for us here. You, you got to move out of that Arctic playground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would accept it. If I, I love it here. Despite the uh, nasty winter and the crappy roads, I, I, I'm here where I belong for now. <laughs> well, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So, I, uh, before we get going, I do have to say I uh, was actually kind of amused to see that uh, you know how what's old is new is coming back again, and now I'm finally of the age where I'm seeing some of the fashions from my youth starting to return back uh, into fashion today. I was in the weekend. I saw these two young fellows, high school age boys. And the one boy was wearing like a plaid shirt, jeans with a big ass shiny belt buckle. Thought, uh, you know, just like you would have seen some of your friends in the interior of BC when you were a kid and a lot of my friends in Northern Alberta wearing. And I uh, thought, well, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, that used to be fashion and suddenly now it's popular again. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what What's old is new. I mean, uh, that's for sure happening. And it's not just in fashion. I mean, look at, coronavirus i mean it's like the new h1n1 and the new bird flu and the new you know every pandemic that we've had every two years for the last 15 years or well 20 years really um exactly seems like every two years we've got a pandemic that fails to materialize and take out half the world's population but well yeah like i remember ebola was supposed to uh to wipe Africa right out and Ebola itself got wiped out pretty quickly. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, the U S surgeon general uh, had a press conference about an hour ago and he released some statistics on the, who it is that coronavirus is killing. And I, and I, and I thought to myself, boy, this sounds an awful lot like the flu because because yep. the average age of of uh, of a a person dying from coronavirus is eighty years old. And, yeah, and I uh, and I shared the, that on my rant last night. Actually, yeah. the average age of infection being sixty, or median age of infection, sorry, being sixty. And yeah, I mean the people dying are eighty. And you and you're right. That's um yeah that that's like the flu, except that the flu actually kills more people. 
So. Well, but the flu also infects a lot more people, right? I mean, if you had the same infection right. rate, you might see a, a, a higher numbers of deaths. Although the the rate of infection, we don't know what the rate of infection is. I mean, right. it's, so so I mean, it could very well just be, you know, very much like the regular flu strain, just a very different, just a different variation of the flu strain, right? I mean, yeah, because if you look at it, I mean, China is never going to release how many people have actually been infected. Um, no, you're not going to see that come out of North Korea. You're not going to see that coming out of a lot of these countries. Like you're not going to hear what the actual infection rate is. And I mean, lots of people get sick with the flu and, you know, they stay home for, you know, three, four days and drink lots of fluids and, and all this. And then they go back to work. Well, they might've had coronavirus. They, so you don't know, like, we don't know what the actual infection rate is. No, exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, like I was saying on my rant last night, the, uh, the S strain of coronavirus, people might have it and not even get sick. So therefore they wouldn't know they had it. So they wouldn't be going to see their doctor. So you'd never know. Yeah. And I mean, and here's the thing, and I've been saying this since the beginning, since we first heard about coronavirus. And, I, and I'm beginning to think more and more along these lines. I'm really beginning to think that this is, um, that what happened was China released it on purpose. And I said that two months ago when we first heard about it. And I'm believing, like, I'm, I'm, I, my belief in this is becoming more and more solid every day. Because... Um, China was facing big time pushback, riots in the streets, everything, especially from, it wasn't just happening in in Hong Kong. It was happening on the mainland too, uh, which you don't hear very much about because they keep that a lid on that stuff. Right. But right. uh, But Hong Kong, like they were facing full on uh, revolt in Hong Kong for what eight months yeah it was yeah it was huge so and and uh oh coronavirus comes out all of a sudden and all that is shut down and honestly i mean like i would not put it past the chinese government because i mean the chinese government kills its own citizens like at a shockingly high rate so yeah I i would this i would not put it past them to release something like a like a virus like this so that they could shut all that down i mean most of like what is it half of china right now 50 percent of the population or something is quarantined yeah so i mean and now you're hearing it in italy too like italy the entire country as of a few hours ago uh public gatherings have been banned and made illegal. Um, you're only allowed to travel if it's to do with work or if emergency. So, I mean, we are seeing uh, democratic countries shutting down their their um, their people, like. They're actually stopping travel. 
they're stopping people from like they're putting curfews on people like it's and this is all happening in democratic countries for something that they can't even say is more dangerous than the flu yep yeah because i mean it's the hype right yeah i mean to me this is scary because this is this is when you like it's like uh well i think I think it was Winston Churchill who said it that you never let a good uh, disaster. Um, oh, geez, I can't remember the exact saying. It was like you can't let a good disaster go by without taking advantage of it, right? Like, right, yeah. Um, you can't. So, I mean, we saw this with nine eleven, where they, you know, instituted the Patriot Act, where it allowed unfettered uh, uh, spying on their on their own citizens. Which right. nobody would have accepted before nine eleven. No, exactly. And of course, how did Canada respond by putting another tax on us for airport security? Thank you, Paul Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is what we're dealing with right now. Like people are, I think people are taking it. Like countries, governments are taking advantage of this. We're going to see some legislation. I think you're going to see some legislation come out in the U.S. where. Uh, you know, and they'll call it the pandemic act or something. And there's going to be stuff buried in there. That's going to allow for, you know, the control or the limitations of personal rights and freedoms. I mean, I hope that's, that's not correct, but it wouldn't uh, surprise me one bit. And that was when I was saying in my rant last night, I actually had to tip my hat to Mr. Trudeau and the government of Canada because, they haven't fallen for the hype and they've actually not put any travel bans on at this point. And they've just said, well, we'll monitor the situation, but you know, we'll carry on business as usual. And I, uh, I was, yeah, I was, I was actually kind of hurt that I had to say good job to the government and not that we on this show have you know ever shied away from giving the government credit when it's due. But uh, yeah, I had to hand it to them because in my opinion, the Canadian government has actually handled this situation really well. Have they? I mean, I think so. I mean, it's pretty typical of the Trudeau government to do nothing. It is. And, but this time it worked for them. Yeah, I agree. I'm not <laughs> saying it's a bad thing. It's just, I just don't think they're doing anything that, that they don't normally do. Well, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Good, good point. You're right about that. Yeah. I mean, this time their dithering is actually, you know, turned out to be a good thing <laughs> yeah but i mean i mean don't hold your breath i mean i i think things right. change, but the thing is is that like i really don't think they're doing anything different than they normally do which is nothing well that that's true yes so yeah perhaps i'm giving them credit where they uh didn't actually earn it so. yeah <laughs> how dare you <laughs> that's right <laughs> but i mean it's i mean i mean let's 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 be real i mean the canadian economy right now is imploding oh completely and trudeau is at a feminist convention naturally he's not here with this meltdown happening he's not here trying to manage anything see this is what we were what i was talking about after the last election remember when we said oh he just made Christia Freeland the minister of everything, which is the prime minister's job. Exactly. And, and we said, well, why is this? Is this because he doesn't actually want to do the job? 
or is this because he's training her to uh, like he he's molding her into a prime minister candidate so that he, because he's going to step down before the next election and, and then she can run as the candidate for prime minister. What is it? Right. And I think after seeing what's been happening uh, since the election, I think he just doesn't want to do the job anymore. See, and I would go with that more so than I would go with he's trying to groom Miss Freeland because I don't think Justin Trudeau has ever really known how to do this job. And and it, that's easy to see because of the fact that he's he's bored with it. He's disinterested. And I remember him having an interview with Rosie Barton, I think a couple of years into his first mandate. And he said, oh, the biggest surprise for me is that I'm really good at this. Yeah, and I thought you know how many Canadians would take take issue with that. Well, not only that, <laughs> but he also said that he didn't see him his job. This was during the Aga Khan investigation uh, when he broke ethics rules by taking a free trip. Um, yeah, he he said that he really didn't see his job as being like really actually important. Yeah, I think he said more of a figurehead or something, right? Yeah, he said that his job was more of a spokesperson. Right, yeah, that was the word he used, yeah. Right, so I think what he's done is he's just offloaded the duties that he doesn't want to Christia Freeland, and he just gets to be that spokesperson. Right. Yeah, no, there is something to be said for that. Because that's what's happening. I mean, look at what happened with 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 the rail blockades. I mean, oh God, he was he was out of the country. He he made no attempt whatsoever to come back until it was too late, and then right. he and then he came back. Um, but even when he came back, he didn't he didn't do anything. He just sent uh, Carolyn Bennett to take care of it. Right, and he didn't he he still didn't do anything once he was here. So no, exactly. So I'm really becoming of the mind that he really just does not want the job. He just wants to be the spokesperson. He wants to be the face of Canada. He just doesn't want to lead it. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, they they kind of go hand in hand. But but you're you're right, and I think you can probably make a case that he's been kind of shuffling his duties off through most of his mandate, really, because I mean he's always had somebody else doing the work for him, and then he would just show up and take some selfies, but you know, then now that no longer works. So then he's got to try to find someone who can do something smart. And well, he shouldn't have picked Krista Freeland for that role. I tell you. No. And, and I mean, honestly, how has our opinion changed of her? Because I mean, in the first term, I remember a couple of years into the first term, you and I actually quite liked her. Um, I did. I, I was, I adored her for, for quite some time and that bloom pretty quickly fell off that rose. But Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, we've got the economy is imploding, which uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Give me your honest answer. Who predicted that uh, about two years ago? You know what? I believe he's a co-host for this pretty wicked podcast in Western Canada. Um, You did. Oh, I did. That's right. (laughs) I did. And I've been predicting it for two years that it would happen this winter. And... And it started in the third quarter of last or the fourth quarter of last year. We got yep. the numbers back. We had 0.3% growth and the economy is now uh, contracting. 
And, and yeah. yes, and that was before illegal rail blockades, and that was before coronavirus. So that's right, and it's going to blame con- those things. No, and it's going to continue to contract because you know Canada is such a resource reliant economy, and now extraction industries are all but extinct because of legislation brought in by this radical leftist government that we have with with the Trudeau cabinet, and. It's the resource industries that we've always needed to help ourselves rebound out of a recession. Yeah. So now, not only are we getting into recession, we've got a government that's already going into wild deficits every year. So where are they going to have room to spend anymore to help stimulate the economy? Exactly. I mean, and you and I have both been saying that since uh, Trudeau first took office over four years ago. Because, I mean, Harper handed him a surplus right and he proceeded to spend 30 billion dollars more than the government received in revenues that very first year and it hasn't stopped it's been in the high 20 billions every single year and we've been saying i mean right on this show we've been saying in good times you you hold your purse and in and when things slow down, when you have contraction in the economy, that's when government opens up the taps a little bit. But what are you going to do if during the good times you were you were you know spending the cupboards bare, and and then it goes into recession? What do you do then? Do you double down? Do you go into sixty, seventy billion dollar deficits every year? Well, exactly, and that's. That's where we're headed. I mean, they, and they keep talking about oh, debt to GDP ratio. How about we just uh, talk about getting rid of debt instead? Like, I don't understand the stupidity of this government. I mean, Bill Morneau, he should know better. I mean, he's a partner in Morneau Chappelle, and I mean, they're an investment firm. So you would think he'd have at least enough of a head on his shoulders to understand that you can't spend more than you earn, but he, he doesn't have a clue. Well, no, but I mean, let's be honest, his dad, that's his dad's company. His dad built. Well, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, it's kind of like when Belinda Stronach came into uh, government, you were like, oh, she's a businesswoman. Uh, Yeah, yeah, no, that's her dad. Her dad dad is is the, is, you know, the CEO of Magna. And I mean, he's the one who built that. She got a cushy job because of who she is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same that's thing, with, and it's a bit it's the same thing here. I mean, his dad is that's his dad's company, and he he had the cushy job because uh, he was his son. I mean, I mean, maybe he was good at business, but he de- maybe maybe he was just good at the job he had there. I don't know. That could be, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's really frustrating because, and this this goes to our point as well. I mean, you and I have both been saying this for a while is that Trudeau just wants when he retires from being prime minister, he just wants to uh, get a, uh, an appointment to the UN. And I think this fact, the fact that he is at this feminist convention, rather than trying to deal with what is happening in the Canadian economy, just goes to, goes to that. It just, it's reinforcing that opinion of ours. Oh, yeah, totally. So, I mean, I don't know. It's 
Canada's really in trouble right now, especially after today and the price of oil uh, took a huge dump because uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia are at each other's throats. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the price of oil has dropped. The West Texas intermediate price this morning was about third, just over thirty dollars a barrel. I think around thirty-one. Brent was around thirty-four, and we haven't seen those prices since the early nineties. And unfortunately, the Alberta government had just released their budget, or was about to release their budget, and they predicted the price of oil to be almost double that. So now they're either going to have to retool their budget, or find some other revenue streams. And, you know, that's going to happen, have to happen here in Saskatchewan too. Our budget is set to come out on March 19th. So there's going to have to be some refiguring of numbers here too. And yeah. I mean, I'm all for the, the, the Saudis and Russians want to have a, a fight over oil. Fine. I mean, obviously that's going to hurt us, but it's, uh, yeah, I really don't know what to do. We don't have much of an oil patch now anyway. So I think the pain is going to be a little lessened by that. But yeah. I mean, I uh, I know it's not going to pass down to the Canadian consumer at the gas pump. I mean, the price might drop five or ten cents a liter, but I don't see it reflecting the you know the plummeting of the price of oil. No, and I mean this is this is uh, I mean yeah, because the, the Alberta the Alberta budget was um, I thought was a little too optimistic for the price of oil. Even when it was where it was, I thought it was probably a little on the optimistic side. Uh, yeah. But now it's really on the optimistic side. Uh, obviously, it's something that nobody could predict was going to happen. Um, no, that's right. But, yeah, I mean, this this hurts Alberta's uh, budget. This hurts Saskatchewan's budget. Luckily, it doesn't hurt BC's budget because, you know, we hate oil. So, <laughs> um but but what is affecting our budget is forestry revenues because the forestry uh, industry here in BC is tanking the same way that the Alberta oil industry is because we still don't have a softwood lumber deal still four and a half years later. Um, and, uh, and we've got a government here, a BC NDP government that uh doesn't know they, they don't understand business or commerce and so they keep doing things that just infuriates business owners and uh and when in when you're you know infuriating business owners and making life difficult for business owners uh who suffers most it's employees because they're the ones who don't get hired yeah exactly right i mean we've got I was talking, I actually sat down for coffee with one of my main competitors and uh, he and I were, were just talking about the challenges that we've both been facing. And the one thing that he brought up that I didn't really think about would be a problem for one of my competitors because most of my competitors aren't big enough for the new BC health tax to affect um, because you only pay on it on a payroll of $500,000 or more. And right. um, most, most companies in my industry are, are smaller, right? And, uh, but this, my, my main competitor is, is quite large. He's been around for 30 years, right? So he's, he's got oh, quite, okay. quite a large company. And, uh, and he was saying that the health tax last year, he had, it was an extra $8,000 hit for him. 
Oh my gosh. And uh, so, I mean, and, and then this year I was doing my WCB uh, premium payout and, uh, and I realized, Hey, wait a second. Why am I paying? Why am I uh, accounting for my wages in the WCB uh, premium? Because I, I would never qualify to even use the benefits of it. I mean, yes, my company is a limited company and technically the benefits could cover me as the owner. They could cover me, but they never will because WCB will say, well, who's, who's running your company? Well, I am, I'm running my company. Even if I'm severely injured, I'm still running my company. I have to. And they'll yeah. say, well, then we aren't covering you because you're at work. Right. So <laughs> if I can never qualify to use them, why am I paying on them? Right. Yeah. Good point. So there was, there's stuff like that. Right. But there's other things too. Like, especially this health, health tax that the BCNDP brought in um, because they, because there was like, I don't know, I think it was like 5% or less than 10% of, of people working in BC had to pay their own health premiums. Um, because and for those of you in the rest of the country who don't know what that is, um, BC families and individuals had to pay a, a, like a health premium every year, every month. Um, like it was, uh, for an individual, it was, I think it was around a hundred, hundred bucks or something for a family. It was like $220 or something like that. And, but the majority of people in BC, their employer paid for it voluntarily. It was as a perk. And so most people, their premiums were covered. But because there was, and if you and if you were uh, made below a certain amount of money, the government uh, covered your premium, right? So there was like this small window of people who weren't covered, and because there was this small window of like five percent or less than ten percent of people whose premium wasn't covered, the government says, "Oh, we're just eliminating the uh, health premium and." businesses are going to pay for it well businesses, oh, nice. businesses already were paying for it so you know but now but it's only businesses that are five hundred thousand dollar payrolls and up right well that competitor of mine now has to try and compete against me and i don't have that tax on me to bet to compete against his pricing Okay, yeah. So yes, you you get a, a bit of an edge. I have a bit of an edge, but he has this challenge in front of that, that he has to deal with, right? Of of trying to compete with me, but he doesn't have, but he has this eight thousand dollar tax that he has to pay that I don't. Right. It's it's completely unfair. I mean, and now, yeah. and, and the BC government is bringing in no fault insurance, which nobody in this province asked for. In fact, everybody in this province is asking for private insurance the way B Alberta has. And, but they're not doing that because ICBC is a government run insurance corporation that the NDP brought in uh, back in the 
eighties, I believe. So they don't want to get rid of something they brought in and admit that it was, uh, that it was a mistake. Right. Well, that's right. Government knows everything. So, so government knows best. Yeah. But I mean, that's what, like they're bringing in this no fault insurance, but nobody wants it. Nobody asked for it. And they're refusing to give BC what we're asking for. So, um, and now this new budget that they've just brought out, um, the BC government just, just tabled their new budget and it's, it's rife with tax increases and, uh, and, uh, and fee increases uh the same thing happens every time the ndp gets into power in bc they get into power they spend and spend and spend and then they go oh we don't have any money left now we have to start cutting and it's and they always do it within one term like it's it's hilarious <laughs> it's hilarious. like they like they do it they're doing it now this budget it's only it's only their third budget and <laughs> and they're and they're already cutting Jeez. Which, as a conservative, I'm happy they're doing. But they, but they are still like they're, but they're increasing funding for things that I don't want them to increase funding for. Right, like programs that they only like. It's this Rob from Peter to pay Paul programs that. Yeah. that I don't like that they're increasing the funding for. And that's just a hallmark of NDP governments. It's like in the, the federal NDP party, Jagmeet Singh wants to institute this whole, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? The dental pharmacare. dental coverage and pharmacare as part of the government budget, right? As, as part of uh, the, the Canadian healthcare system. Yeah. And, uh, my kid is facing an $8,500 bill for braces and all that kind of stuff, right? But if everybody had the coverage, and I mean, it's like we would never get in to even see our orthodontist. Well, exactly. But, but the, but of course, Canadians believe in everybody suffering equally. So, uh, it, but it's but the thing is, is that they want to they want all this under the Canada Health Act. But let's look at some numbers, right? Like only 5% of Canadians don't have a drug plan of some kind. Yeah, exactly. So why are we trying to institute something national for basically for a service that people aren't asking for or don't need? Like right. there's 95% of Canadians are already covered by some kind of a drug plan. Yep. And and it's not because like 95% of the people have drug plans, it's that 95% of them are covered by a drug plan whether it's their spouse's plan or they're or they're already poor and they don't make enough and they're covered by a government program. But 95% of people are covered. So why and it's paid for by private companies. So why why is the government wanting to take this over, right? Yeah, especially when you look at the price tag, the, the like the pharmacare alone. I remember when we had talked about this last year when it was uh, 
a campaign discussion, 15 billion just to implement the pharmacare program. And then I believe it was about 5 billion a year they were suggesting it would cost. And yeah. of course that would go up because it never, it never sticks to its estimates. So no, never. It's crazy. And that, and, and it always increases in what it's going to cover and, and all of this, right? Like, Oh yeah. Never, of course. They, never, they never pull it back. They always increase the, the, you know, the umbrella to so it covers right. more and more things. Exactly. So, so you know, I want to move past that. I want to touch on the Ontario teacher strike briefly here. Yeah. And uh, so I, the breaking news today was that the teachers are going back to work and they're going to bargain and now they're not going to um, take any more strike action until after the March break, which March break starts next week. So basically they're going to go back to work to, for, for this week and then yeah. they're off for, for a week. And I learned by uh, doing a bit of research, there's actually four unions that cover teachers in Ontario. Yeah. And so, I mean, the government has to bargain with Catholic teachers union, a French schools teachers union, then a secondary schools teachers union and an elementary schools teachers union. So little wonder they're having a hard time getting, getting anything done when you've got, so many different unions and they one of the things what and i'm not sure which of the unions was now because yeah I'm, I'm confused just knowing there's four of them um one of the unions was talking about capping class sizes and it made me think of a conversation you and i had last year not on the show but just as we were walking to and from venues at gray cup because uh, you had a really good point about forcing you know a cap on class sizes so i was hoping you might want to touch on that again for for our audience Sure. Yeah. Um, so in BC, what happened, uh, geez, back in the nineties, they put on, a, 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 it was part of the bargaining. They, they instituted a cap on a hard cap on class sizes. So what happened is, is if you had one kid that registered for, for that grade in that school that exceeded the limit of that class size, Say you had a 20 per 20 kid class size limit. If there were 21 kids registered for that class, they had to split that class and then take like, like say that was for grade one. And then you'd have to take a grade two class and split that grade two class. If it had like, say 18 students or 19 students, they would split those two classes and create two split one twos because the grade one had too many students. So you would, so that's, you can't do that. You can't put hard caps on it. My dad was a teacher Well, he's finishing up his last year of teaching and he's been teaching for 44 years. And he was telling me back then, he said, this is a mistake. We can't do this. You can't put a hard cap on class sizes. And so that's and that's what happens is you end up with these split classes because instead of having one grade one class, one grade two class, you get two split one twos so that you can divide the students up so that you have the same number or that you, you're below the cap. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and then potentially I'm sure that teachers probably saw it as a way to, you know, make more jobs for teachers. But then the problem is you I don't know how you, how you want either they cut classes 
like how you say either they blend them with one twos or they hire another grade one teacher and then the teacher then the the teaching or school district sorry ends up blowing their budget so it's yeah i don't know how there's a win anywhere no and and i gotta hand i gotta hand it to the uh the ford government they they're calling the teachers bluff right now because yeah they, they were actually playing it really well yeah they they said okay you know what you want class size and composition as part of the contract which it should be you just can't put hard caps but they they have class size and composition composition they're they're saying okay you can have that in the contract all that's left now is teacher salaries and and because the teachers have been saying all along this is about the kids this is about the kids this is about the kids this is about class sizes and composition of the classes and all this. And so the Ford government said, all right, we'll give you everything you're asking for, but we're still going to negotiate on salaries and the government. And, and so now they're proving that for the teachers, it's about money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think teachers are, are well paid. I don't think they're overpaid, but I think when you look at the whole package, I mean, they have 192 instructional days, and I mean, they a lot of teachers will take their salary over twelve months, and they still do pretty well. I mean, it's uh, it's nice to get paid for those you know month and a half they're off in the summer, and a week here and a week there. So uh, teachers do okay. Teachers do really, really well. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, when you've reached ten years as a teacher, you are in the top ten percent of income earners in the country, and you're. And you work for basically, I mean, I don't know what it is in other provinces, but in BC, you work for nine months. You are, because you get two weeks off at Christmas, you get two weeks off for for spring break, and you get two months off in the summer. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I mean, it's, you get, and and, uh, you know what, I, I, people say, yeah, but teachers work a lot of hours and all this. Yeah, so does everybody. Like, no, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, like and, and teachers of, do. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's prep time, there's marking, and I, I give them full credit for the work they do when school is in session. Yeah. But, but you, you nobody to, gets three months holidays. Nobody. No. And you talk to a manager who, get, anybody who receives a salary doesn't get paid for overtime. Right. So, so, and that's managerial positions. It's all of that. Everybody who gets salary works way more than 40 hours a week, way more. Hey, so, oh, exactly. So you, so I, I'm sick of hearing teachers say how much they work. Everybody well, works a lot. Try being a small business owner. Everybody well, works a lot. Well, exactly. And, and when it's, uh, you've seen some keyboard warriors on social media say, oh, and teaching is the most important profession in the world. Well, everybody says that about their own profession. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to say, oh, well, hey, you know what? You don't get anything in the store without a truck driver bringing it to you. And well, hey, you know what? Kids don't get brought into the world without a mom and moms get paid nothing. So exactly. it's all relative, man. <laughs> it is. It is. It's all relative. So, Wow. I think we covered a lot. We have made it through a lot, and it's uh, it's getting to that time already. So it is, yeah. So you can expect to hear a couple of rants from us this week, and we'll be back with a full show next week. You bet. I've got one a rant boiling up now, so it's uh, 
it's going to come out within the next couple of days for sure. And uh, we apologize for a bit of an abbreviated show. And uh, we were we missed out on you last week. That's our apologies for some technical difficulties. But until next week, I am Tony here in Saskatoon. And I'm Lewis in BC. All right. Good night, Canada. Thanks for joining us. and Tony.